Hey, podcast family. In this episode, we're going to tackle something that gives patients and ourselves as women's healthcare providers a little bit of anxiety. But a lot of that anxiety is really self-inflicted because it really shouldn't be unless the patient is extremely high risk or this one issue just really looks bad. I mean, on ultrasound, it looks angry and you're like, oh, that's really suspicious. Otherwise, we should probably relax and chill a little bit. Yep, we're going to talk about ultrasound finding ovarian cysts. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about the super complex uh, with a bunch of ascites in the patient who is 70 years old. All right. So to be very clear, this has to do with simple slash septated cysts that are found on ultrasound. A lot of time, incidentally, like, oh, you got some pelvic pain. Fine. I'll check the box. I'll, I'll get the ultrasound because you're supposed to. Or they have uh, heavy menstrual bleeding. And of course, you get the ultrasound because that's the right thing to do in the palm coin evaluation. And you're like, ah. Oh, by chance, I just happen to have found this little kind of funky little ovarian cyst, um, but there's no family history, there's no ascites, and blank is what we're going to do about it. Well, we're going to fill in that blank in this episode because we're going to highlight a new article that's coming out in December 2023 in the Green Journal titled, quote, Variables Associated with Resolution and Persistent of Ovarian Cysts, end quote, all right? So variables associated with resolution and persistence of ovarian cysts. But when you read this article, uh, we're going to go into some little side notes because there's some things that you should ask yourself, like, well, would I even follow that to begin with? Because clearly that was going to resolve by itself. And at the same time, how do we balance that, that thought, that that. Uh, assumption that it was going to re- resolve by itself with the, the okayness of, hey, I'm not missing something potentially bad, aka ovarian cancer. All right. And we're going to highlight uh, a table, a, a great uh, manuscript that came out in 2020 that I referenced with, with my radiologist uh, who does our pelvic ultrasounds frequently because we th- there's a gr- there, there's, it's taken away the stress and the mystery of what to do with ovarian cysts. This is called the ORADS scheme or the ORADS classification. Uh, just like the BIRADS system for for breast imaging, there is an ORADS scheme and classification that everybody should be looking at when they find an ovarian cyst. So we're going to go over that because ideally your radiologist, my radiologist, and everybody's radiologist should re- be reporting these ovarian masses based on the classification of the ORADS system. Now, there's other nomenclatures and other ways to clarify ovarian masses. Uh, we're going to get into all of that in this episode. But man, this color-coded little table from ORADS is so nice because it gives you risk of malignancy. It tells you exactly what it should look like. And if it does, that's the category. And then it even provides, here's a catch, recommended options for follow-up and who should follow up. Us as general women's healthcare providers should be gynecology oncology, which I am not. Um, or is it fine just with, with with general gynecology, general women's health? So we're going to get into all of this, and we're even going to touch on a commentary 
based on this new article coming out that's also in the Green Journal. This commentary is uh, a brief editorial by Stephen Rose, who is a Jinnok, who actually had the exact same questions that I had when I read this article. So let's cover the ovarian cyst follow-up. Should we do it? Do we not do it? Which ones are more important to follow up and cover the ORAD system? Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, podcast family, just to be clear, again, this does not apply to the seven-year-old patient with the super complex ovarian mass who has ascites. You're like, ah, I think I'm going to sit on that, honey. You'll be fine. Don't do that. That's weird. And that needs evaluation. All right. Not all ovarian masses in menopause need evaluation. But if they're complex with ascites, guys, right, that's a flag. Do something about it. But we've known for years that even a 10 centimeter simple cyst, even if it's postmenopausal, chances that simple cyst, a.k.a. unilocular cyst, which is the same thing. I always find that confusing. Simple cyst or unilocular, just Call it simple, but unilocular, which means one room, um, and a simple cyst is is the exact same thing. Actually, a simple cyst is a form of a unilocular cyst, Um, but most people use use them interchangeably. Ooh, I don't know what happened there. Did y'all hear that? Like, I almost died on my saliva there. Um, What was I saying? Oh, yeah, simple and interlocular about the same. So even in a simple slash unilocular cyst plus like 10 centimeters in a postmenopausal patient, the chance that that's malignancy is there, but it is extremely small. So those can really just be followed. Um, so th- that's that's the, the atypical thing, right? Yes, size is linked to probability of malignancy, but so are the other characteristics like abnormal features within that cyst. And we're going to discuss that in a little bit. That's why... Having an objective scale that everybody can point to and go, aha, I I read the definition, I read the description in the scale, I'm looking at the ovary here in the patient, and it looks like X, Y, or Z with a uniform way of describing findings, and then basing that follow-up based on that is super helpful, okay? Now, uh, I'm going to talk about several scales here. The Kentucky Morphology Index, which is super old school. Um, There's the uh, ORADS, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, And then there's another one uh, from the uh, Society of Radiologists that I'll get into as well. And and they're all very good, but they all do different things. I have found that the ORADS scale is the most comprehensive because not only does it give you a risk of malignancy, it very clearly gives you the the explanation of of the type of cyst that you're looking at with a lot of fine uh, detail. 
And then it gives you, again, that point of follow-up in a nice color-coded scale, all right? Uh, and if I get a chance, I'll post that on, on our Instagram page. Um, just that one table, because I can't post very much for copyright issues, but I think I can post that one table, and I'll, I'll, if I remember, I'll do that. Or I'm sure you can look it up, and I'll give you the reference in a minute. But the whole reason we're doing this is that this is a real-world issue, is it not? It is in my population, where somebody comes in, they've got some kind of pelvic complaint, I'm super conservative, and I, I always want to at least see what's going on inside the pelvis, and so we order the ultrasound. And lo and behold, oh, I mean, there's, there's an ovarian cyst, and like fire sharps falling from the sky, and it's like, oh my gosh, I've got a cyst, I've got a cyst, do, do, do I need to take it out? And 99% of the time, it's, no. Why would we do that? We're going to watch it and we're going to chill because it's likely going to go away. But this is the fear is both in the patient and with us. Do we watch something that's potentially bad or can we watch it and give it time to resolve? Now, and so one of the reassuring things from this new publication coming out in December, which is not a new trial, it's actually an old study cut up and diced again and then basically a sub-analysis. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But honestly, even septated cysts, they're like, man, if you just watch it for a while in a patient who's low risk, they kind of go away if you have the patience to to watch it for a while. Uh, and the patient is okay watching it for a while, assuming that she doesn't have signs of torsion, guys, right? Uh, or big family history that's concerning. My point is, is just like we learned from obstetrics that in labor, oh my goodness, if you just kind of leave women alone, um, you know, it's kind of loosey-goosey with the Friedman curve. And as long as the baby looks okay and mom isn't having like uncontrolled bleeding from the VJJ, if you can just let her sit, something will happen. That's the whole rules of uh, that redefined the, the management of, of labor and got rid of the Friedman curve is hold your roll, man, slow the roll, because we did a lot of patients, took a lot of patients for a section, when if we probably would have just let them chill and do their thing, they would have changed. Kind of the same issue here with ovarian cysts, guys, all right? And again, I have to give the disclosure, I'm not talking about the funky ovarian cyst that looks angry, that when you do an ultrasound and the ovary looks at you and says, hi, I'm a malignancy, don't watch that one, okay? And But I'm even in the ORADS scale, it discusses those characteristics. Whew, my goodness, I'm like exhausted already and I haven't even gotten started. Uh, so it's just a lot of info there. And, and not only do we have to relax, but patients have to relax, uh, this happens quite frequently. Our radiologist is also part of the medical school staff. He's fantastic. He's just a great guy, uh, uh, Dr. McCord. And, but remember, radiology has sometimes different terms than gynecology, right? So it's not infrequent that I'll get an ultrasound report from Dr. McCord, uh, who's super evidence-based, right, legit and good guy. Uh, and it says, ah, I see a 2.5 centimeter cyst on the right ovary. It is simple. It is smooth walls. There's no pelvic ascites. Normal flow to the ovary. Okay. Did you all catch that? 2.5 centimeter cyst. Well, in the world of gynecology, anything under 30 millimeters, 3 centimeters, is pretty much a graphene follicle. <laughs> Either an unruptured follicle, uh, a, um, a a cyst that's about to ovulate or has ovulated and is about to uh, collapse. So there's certain criteria marks. Now, radiology has to call it as they see it. 
They see a fluid-filled space, hey, that's a cyst. For gynecology, that's a completely physiological structure and shouldn't even be called a cyst. So 90% of the cysts that I get referred to, I'm like, well, that's where were you on your period when you had this? Uh, I'm like, oh, I was, I was about to have my period. Well, I just proved that you were ovulating. Uh, and because it's 2.8 centimeters simple with good flow and normal thin-walled uh, uh, structures, I am not going to repeat this. Because uh, you're you're fine. Does, does that make sense? So it, it's amazing how in 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 both are evidence based. I mean, they're following their guidelines, but gynecology says that's a physiological issue, man. That's you don't have to worry about that one. And we're going to talk about all of that uh, in this episode when we talk about ORADs. Does that happen to you? Have you gotten that the the under three centimeter ovarian cyst that the patient is already convinced like she's going to start chemo and it's just going to be horrible? It's just so. We have just become this huge high-anxiety society for a variety of reasons. I mean, half of those reasons are real. The other half are just self-inflicted. On, on another note related to that devastating news, it, also, it just came out today. I'm recording this on November the 29th that U.S. suicide rates again are, have spiked again. Guys, we need to grip. We need to just process. We need to get a hold on ourselves and our mental wellness. My goodness. Um, uh, and again, that y'all are, you know, I'm very open with my issues. I've got struggles with that too. I have it. I had anxiety. I'm a recovering anxiety patient. Um, uh, and hence the TED talk that we did before. I just posted that link on our Instagram as well. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of stuff to be worried about and anxious about. But if we don't control it, we, we end up in a dark place. And these ovarian cysts can do that to our poor patients. So we have to be able to have empathy to really ask them when we find an ovarian cyst, even though we know it's a follicle, hey, how's your family history? How do you feel? Uh, you know, I reassure you this this is absolutely okay and here's why. And I popped this up on my laptop or on our, on our desktop. I'm like, look, let me show you this scale. This is not my opinion. This is a national recommendation called the ORADS. And you fit right here. You see how you fit in the green? That's you. Green means you're fine. And that's a very helpful tool. And I encourage you guys, we teach that to our medical students, we teach that to our residents. Show people, hey, I'm not telling you something based on my uh, guess, uh, on my comfort level. I'm I'm following exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I just did that today on a patient who came in with PMS. And I said, oh, great. Hey, I tell you what, December 2023, coming out in the Green Journal. That's our professional. That's our little book that comes out every month. There's an article on that. Let's read that together. And I'm going to show you some highlights. And I showed I showed her the, the recommendations from the college. And we made an evidence-based plan from that. And she got so teary-eyed, guys. I got to tell you, it really touched me. She's like, oh my gosh, you taking the time to do that, guys. It, my total appointment was like 15 minutes, the usual appointment. But for her, it was, we spent the entire universe of time. Uh, she's like, I just, you know, thank you for showing me that. Now I, and I know where to look. I, I learned some things. She learned what ACOG meant. <laughs> and, uh, and it just, it, it, how would you want to be treated if you were a patient? Uh, just take that time, even though, man, my schedule was full and I knew I was getting behind. Just when you're at that bedside, that patient is, should be your only world. I have totally derailed, haven't I? Let's get back to what we're talking about. Oh my goodness, I am totally comfortable with my maleness, my manness, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but when a patient tells me, uh, like we just covered, oh, I've got this ovarian cyst, I'm like, oh my gosh, let's talk about it. Let me, let me pull up the report and see it. And I look, and it's a 2.5 centimeter, simple, thin walled, mid cycle follicle. 
Uh, it's amazing that even in my manness, I automatically go into a full transformation and become like an 80s Valley girl, all right? Because my typical response is, uh, no, that's not a cyst. That's a follicle. It's totally okay. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. It's okay. Oh, like the way Randy likes you. For sure, Stacy. Oh, as if. Venti lattes. Oh, I prefer grande. Well, before we get into the new stuff, let's go back to 2016 for ACOG's practice bulletin number, what number is it? Hold on, I lost my place. Hold on. Oh, no, number 174. <laughs> All right, practice, I'm off today. I don't know what is happening. I don't know. I came back from Thanksgiving. I worked that whole week. Um, so I never like had that break. And now my brain is like off. I don't know. I'm still working, obviously. I'm, I worked today. But um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, back to ACOG's practice bulletin from 2016. That's number 174. That's evaluation and management of adnexal masses, all right? Now, if you're thinking, man, 2016, ooh, that's been some time. Yeah. And there's been new things like the uh, ORADS scale that came out in 2020. So we're going to talk about it because this is a foundational piece of, of practice bulletin that goes over tumor markers, of course, and their limitations and, and their value really as a triage tool of who really should go to gynecology, oncology, who can be followed up uh, or who could be, uh, you know, operated on by, uh, by a general gynecologist or minimally invasive surgeon. OK, uh, but, but it's important that we realize that since 2016, there has been new updates, including this new piece coming out in December 2023, which is just coming out, what is that, like in two days. So first, I do want to talk about just briefly this issue about tumor markers, all right? Because while CA-125 gets all the press uh, because most ovarian cancers are epithelial, right? Uh, and so that's valid. Remember that their accuracy, the the specificity, the positive predicted value for all tumor markers really lies in the postmenopausal state, Okay. Because they're very nonspecific in the premenopausal patient. Uh, now, there, there are some uh, FDA-approved panels that can be done. That Well, there's actually two right now. One is the Roma and the other one is a, a multi-analyte serum test, like the old OVA-1. And they have a role. They're okay to, to kind of predict the rate of malignancy. But they're not meant to be like, am I going to follow you or not? Those are meant to be pre-surgical to help you in the decision of who should do the surgery to be in the patient's best interest, all right? So traditionally, tumor markers were looked at for for a triage tool. That's their main value uh, to keep the patient safe. Although kind of off-label, uh, you know, people use it again as, as, am I okay to just follow a patient conservatively? Now, their original value and the value where, where their true use uh, um, still has validity is, of course, in the post-treatment surveillance of an ovarian cancer. So you can track possible recurrences based on a resurgence of that tumor marker, right? That's really what tumor markers are for is, okay, get a baseline and then follow you up to make sure that those levels are suppressed along with diagnostic imaging, all right? So while the these tumor markers were first used and their best use is as a triage tool to figure out who should best do the surgery, Yes, I get that. Most people use that with some comfort level to help convince themselves uh, whether you can do expected management or take them to surgery. 
Although, if you follow the the ORADS scale, that gives you the risk of the probability of malignancy just in and of itself. So I'm not saying not to do tumor markers. I'm saying know their place, know their lack of specificity, especially in the premenopausal patient. Now, speaking about the premenopausal patient, I learned that CA-125 and ACOG had this, guys. This was in ACOG's past bulletins that if you're premenopausal, then it really should be a CA-125 of up to 200. All right, so hang on to that number, premenopausal 200. Remember that postmenopausal CA125 abnormal is considered more than 35, all right? But I do want to just briefly read something from that practice bulletin 174 from the college about the use of these serum markers as a way to do expectant management or surgery, all right? Because we already mentioned that, and, and it's legit. ACOG recognizes that, even though that wasn't their original intent, all right? Uh, because, of course, you should take a patient to surgery not just based on a tumor marker. You should taken a surgery based on family history, symptomatology, and what the mass looks like. But ACOG does say here under the subheading in Practice Bulletin 174 of what is the role of serum marker testing in the initial evaluation of an anexal mass, ACOG says, quote, serum marker testing is indicated to evaluate the likelihood of malignancy and need for surgery, end quote. So there you go. The problem is, of course, is that they lack a lot of specificity, once again, in that premenopausal state. And ACOG recognizes that, which brings me now back to that 200 value. Because even though ACOG had, had stuck onto that 200, like greatly more than 35, right? That's obviously elevated. Here's what ACOG continues to say within that same bulletin. Quote, this threshold of 200 was based on expert opinion. No evidence-based threshold is currently available, so gynecological care providers should integrate the CA-125 level with other clinical factors in judging the need for consultation, end quote. In other words, they're saying, look, cases of endometriosis and endometriomas could have CA-125 levels of 1,000, and those are units per ml. So again, Premenopausal, you're super limited by that. You see how routine tumor markers, if you have this uh, ground glass appearance, this homogeneous ovarian cyst uh, that looks like an endometrioma, and then you just get CA125 just to see what it's at, you're going to freak people out because it could very well be up to a thousand if it's an endometrioma because of that peritoneal seeding with endometrial implants. Freaky, right? So premenopause, even though ACOG said 200, in that same practice bulletin where it references a 200, it goes on to say, look, that was a guess, guys. Um, we just kind of came together. That's expert opinion. There's really no data threshold of what to do in a premenopausal patient. All to say that serum marker testing is valid. It's okay whether you do them independently, like get a CA125 by itself, uh, get a... Um, a uh, beta HCG and AFP and LDH. You can do them independently. Or if you do a preset packaged panel, which the FDA has approved, that's also okay. Uh, and, and remember that those panels were pri primarily for, again, who should get referral to gynecology, oncology or not. So, so while they're similar, they're a little different. Independent tumor markers you can use as a discriminatory zone to make you feel more comfortable with expected management in addition to the ORAD scale. Whereas the serum biomarker panels like ROMA or the, the old OVA1 test, the multivariable uh, analytes uh, test, uh, 
um, you can do uh, as a way to triage who should do the surgery. See the difference? Both are markers, but one is an algorithm-based. Those are the panels, and the other are independent. You see that, right? So triage-based, independent, who should do the surgery, get a panel. Okay, let's move on from there. I'm not going to get into the December 2023 publication just yet because we have to cover the ORADS uh, system, just like the BIRADS. So BIRADS, B-I-R-A-D-S, stands for breast imaging. The O is ovarian slash adnexal, okay? RADS stands for the reporting and data systems, reporting and data systems, aka a, a universal language of how to report these things. Remember, mammograms follow BIRADS, category 0, 1, 2, and 3, and so forth, with increasing numbers being more suspicious for breast cancer. Exact same thing with the ORADS. No wonder that this comes from the ACR. Okay, so this is the American uh, College of Radiology initially released ahead of print at the end of 2019, but officially came out in print in January 2020 in the journal Radiology. All right. The title is ORADS, U.S. Risk Stratification and Management System, a consensus guideline from the ACR, Ovarian and Nexel Reporting and Data System Committee. Now, uh, if I hope you've heard of this thing because it really is a great way so radiologists don't have to find the right words to, well, it's got a little pokey thing in the, in, in the, in the clear water, in, in the dark spot. I mean, they've got to say things correctly. It is a unilocular cyst, thin-walled, with minimal projections, uh, with a ovarian volume of X, Y, or Z. That I mean, be, be as clear as possible, and then just match it to the table. No-brainer. And that makes the job easier for us, because it gives you a percent, based on all the data. This isn't one study. This was a committee that came together, said, guys, as radiologists, we got to get this right, for the gynecologists, aka women's healthcare providers, uh, nurse practitioners, uh, CNMs, whatever. We've got to get this right. So let's let's give them a, a unified way of reporting this so they don't miss something because they're going to hang on to what we tell them, uh, which is true. Now, I find it helpful to look at the images myself uh, it, and I, I show the patient uh, and half the time she's squinting, looking at what am I looking at? I'm like, well, I'm just it's my due diligence. I just have to show it to you. This is what they're looking at. And I am or not worried about it. OK, so just like BIRADS does for the breast. ORADS does for an ovarian cyst, okay? This is a great uh, a review. It's pretty darn long. I mean, let's just say what it is. It's, it's, it's lengthy. <laughs> um, but but there's, that one table is super helpful because it really breaks down things into a color-coded uh, risk stratification. Um, the, the whole manuscript is 18 pages long. But there's a lot of tables in it, and there's pictures, like if we're in kindergarten. I mean, there's nice uh, ovarian cyst morphologies and ultrasound pictures. Super helpful. My recommendation to you is print out this table. Even though there's other scales that we're going to talk about just briefly, because this is the main one I want to focus on, and just plug the patient in into what her cyst looks like. This is super helpful, right? Color-coded, just like the color-coded five-tier FHT system is. Remember, we talked about that one? Not the three-tier, but the five-tier. This is exactly the same thing. This helps gauge management, whereas the other scales uh, do not. Okay, uh, and and again, it gives you a quantification on the possible risks, the chance that something is bad. Uh, if you want a specific page of the eighteen pages in the document, it is page number 
173, which is page 6 of that article uh, of the 18 pages. So page 6 out of 18 or page 173 in the journal, okay? And again, if I don't get in trouble, I'll, I'll post this one uh, uh description this one table it's gonna be hard to read and you have to look at it quick because it's gonna be on instagram uh so that you can see what we're talking about very quickly the blue which isn't even it's before green is uh, as a simple follicle defined as one less than three centimeters no follow-up needed that's in the blue that's normal ovary that's normal physiology pretty cool right and i love that they stated right there a a, a normal fo- follicle uh, a simple cystic structure under three centimeters. There it is, follicle. And then in the green, which is category two, which is ORAS scale two, which is almost entirely, almost certainly benign, which is less than 1% risk of malignancy. Uh, it's a simple cyst uh, up to uh, 10 centimeters, okay? And then there's other things in there like not simple, but it's still unilocular, but maybe with a collapsing uh, inner margin, right? Like a like a resolving cyst that can be up to ten centimeters. That is still green. That is BIRADS category two. The normal ovary was one. All right, that we just talked about the the follicle. Zero, like in BIRADS, is incomplete. Too much bowel gas. It was transabdominal. It wasn't vaginal or whatever. So zero is you need to repeat. One is totally benign. You're done. Two is. Um, if you want to follow it up, you can in anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks or just leave it alone. Uh, they'll be fine. You, you see how it gives you now these 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 corresponding management points. Uh, number three, which we've now left green is in the yellow, has a risk of malignancy that's low, but under 10%. So now it's measurable. Okay, These are unilocular cysts greater than 10 centimeters, uh, even if they're simple. Okay, Because risk of malignancy does uh, correlate to size. And here's an interesting point. If you're ever asked, these are good little uh, uh, questions that you can ask your uh, your preceptee, your student, medical student, nursing student, whatever, because there are two different answers. The first is, what is the most important, independent, independent, I mean, it doesn't matter, just stands by itself, risk factor for ovarian cancer? Anyone? Anyone? Remember, the single most independent risk factor is age okay so for anybody it's age the older you are that's this the single strongest independent risk factor but the second question is what is the strongest personal risk factor for you as a person for ovarian cancer and that is a strong family history of breast ovarian malignancy okay so independent risk factor the strongest one is age and then the personal risk factor is personal history personal family or family history those are two good questions Okay, back to our table. So zero was incomplete. Number one was a completely normal ovary. Two was almost certainly benign, like a simple cyst, even up to 10 centimeters in size. Then comes number three, which is yellow, which is a low risk of malignancy, one to 10%. Okay, these are unilocular cysts, uh, uh, more than 10 centimeters, or unilocular with some more irregular uh, wall shapes with uh, certain millimeters of, of thickness. Uh, or multilocular cysts that are less than 10 centimeters with very little internal uh, color Doppler. Again, I know it's a lot of info. I'm not telling you this so you can memorize it. Just uh, getting the idea of how this is getting now more severe. And for those, those should go either to a, a, a gynecologist, you can consider a genonc, or get an MRI if you want more information based on patient history. Okay. Then comes the orange category of four. 
All right. So we've gone from zero, which is white, which means it's, it's, it's nothing. One is blue. Two is green. Three that we just left is yellow. Four is orange. This now has a risk of malignancy that's higher than three, but under 50 percent. Okay, so now you're like, ooh, I'm a little worried. It's it's a deep orange. Uh, I'm pretty much here going to uh, send you to Genonc at this point uh, and let them figure it out. Not to say multilocular cyst, but no solid components, but it is greater than 10 centimeters and it does have some internal color Doppler flow or a unilocular cyst of any size with some solid components, especially papillary projections. That's a four. You're like, I'm not, I don't like this. I, I'm, I wash my hands of this and I'm going sending you straight to Genonc. All right. So four and above is a Genonc issue. Five is a high risk of malignancy. That's greater than 50% chance of malignancy based on characteristics of the mass alone. Notice, none of these are based on age. None of these are based on tumor marker. You see what I'm saying? If you can just look at the ovary and get a good description of it and a good view of it, which is not transabdominal, it's got to be vaginal. This helps you risk stratify. And five is definitely no question. That's a do not pass go. Go to Genoc. Those are the unilocular cysts of any size with greater than four papillary projections, internal color Doppler. Um, you can have solid, uh, the true angry kind of ovary that you can say, ooh, that's just nasty. And there's ascites. Okay, so this is our scale, zero to five, following the BIRADS kind of idea, and this is color-coordinated. Isn't that nice? So if you and your radiologist, if you can talk to your radiologist in a friendly way and go, hey, welcome to the sunlight, because you live in a dark place all the time, the reading room. Um, actually, they're not even reading rooms anymore, guys. They're all computer screens. I mean, they're not like true films anymore. But I guess they're still called the dark room. But anyway, it, can you please try to relate your ovarian cyst uh, nomenclature you're reading to to one of these categories and state what you have but please give me the birads number because that's going to help me gauge my management that's great so again end of 2019 start of 2020 this came out i love this scale i'm still getting our, our radiologists to, to get fully on board because they're still doing kind of their own description of it uh when and they love this one and clinical correlation is necessary well, you think? Of course I'm going to do a... <laughs> do you have to say that? Of course I'm going to give you a clinical correlation. Uh, things that you take for granted, right? Uh, but but I do like this scale quite a bit. Having said that, this is why I wanted to talk about this. Because even though there's other scales like the Kentucky Morphology Index that goes back to 1993, guys. That's the one of the first scales that came out to try to grade the risk of ovarian cancer based on how the cyst looks like. Uh, and that was published in Gynecology Oncology with the first listed author. Uh, that was DePriest back in 1993. But it was just, it was very basic. Uh, it only had like four categories. And it didn't give you any potential follow-up uh, or potential risk of malignancy. It just gave you a number, said, hey, if it looks worse, it's a higher number, then you got to figure that out. Uh, but my point of how all of this relates is what University of Kentucky started in 1993 with the Kentucky Morphology Scale, the, the Kentucky Morphology Index. These authors 
from it's a different set of authors, but it's the same place, University of Kentucky. Now we're releasing a follow-up study, again, different people, but a follow-up study in December 2023 that is taking where all of this information came from. Was It was a large set of population, a large group of, of patients as a prospective cohort that they wanted to do ovarian surveillance with the idea being, ah, let's see if yearly ultrasounds can pick ovarian cancer. Obviously, you know, we're not doing that because it didn't work. I mean, the majority of the things that they found are benign, guys. And the majority of the things that they found went away. That's the take-home message of this new study. So even back then, when the original study was done uh, for, for ovarian cancer surveillance, uh, it's just in a random population. They're like, yeah, yearly ultrasounds, unless you have a really high risk or we're looking for something specifically, it's just, it's just not going to work. Okay, that study looked at more than 30 years uh, of data. I mean, that's a long time. Again, this from the University of Kentucky. The original study was the ovarian cancer screening trial that obviously did not pan out. Uh, And this new publication coming out is is a sub-analysis of that original study uh, to look to see in those that don't have really ugly masses, like the number five, because you're not going to sit on those anyway. But if you sit on the others, what are the chances that those cysts are going to go away? And some of the things that they found will surprise you. And then other things will surprise you also, like, wait, you followed up a less than three centimeter cyst? Why would you even do that? Because radiologists, their guidelines say, just leave that alone. Don't even follow that up. I'm going to give you that information coming up right now. Dang it. Every episode, I'm told that I'm getting more and more wordy and I need to get to it. I think these guys want to go home. I know you want to go home. (laughs) They're rushing me and I don't like it. All right. So let's get to what we're talking about. Uh, so the original trial from the University of Kentucky was from 1987 all the way to 2019. Uh, wow. All right. That was called the University of Kentucky Ovarian Cancer Screening Trial, which is self-explanatory. The, the people who entered this were asymptomatic, either postmenopausal women 50 years or older, or premenopausal women who were older than age 25 but younger than 50 who had at least the same expected risk as postmenopausal, postmenopausal women uh, due to family history or personal BRCA status uh, or ancestry like Ashkenazi Jews or Lynch syndrome, all right? So they had to be uh, even – they weren't necessarily just picked from the general population, but they had to be uh, asymptomatic postmenopausal and then again, age 25, but younger than 50, with the same background risk as postmenopausal patients based on, on their preset criteria, okay? And these women basically had annual ultrasounds. Uh, and the mean follow-up per these individuals uh, was about uh, seven to eight years, Okay, that's commitment. Hey, it's time for your annual ultrasound. Oh my God, can you imagine? So the mean follow-up for screening per person was 7.9 years. Wow. I mean, look, God bless the University of Kentucky. That's persistence, man. All right. Well, having said all that, they, they did find some interesting things. 
This new study that's coming out, the first author is Lasher, and it takes a look at those that had non-severe or non-ugly ovarian masses that went to surgery and, and took a look at the remainder to see what happened to those cysts, okay? Now, the data originally included over 47,000 participants. If you want the real number, it's 47,762, 47,762. And yep, these ultrasounds were done every year, okay? And it followed patients who didn't have an ovarian cyst at entry. These were all incidental ovarian cysts. In other words, those that ended up developing a cyst during the course of the study, and they're like, oh, hey, you've got something here. Let's follow you up, all right? Now, ugly complex cysts were not included. Just to be clear, we restated that. Now, they identified in that original cohort of 47,000 they found as incident ovarian cysts 2,638 new cysts that, that, that formed and 63%, guys, 63%, two out of three uh, basically went away within one year, right? So 63% of these cysts resolved within one year. Younger patients were more likely to have the cyst resolve than older patients. However, this is wild, the time for the cyst to resolve was actually shorter for the older patient. So even though you're more likely to go away if you were younger, when it did go away in the postmenopausal patient, it went away sooner. Well, so figure that out. I, don't, I can't explain that. Neither could they. It's just what they found. Now, Interestingly, septated cysts resolved more quickly than unilocular cysts. Wow. The ones that we worry about, oh, I don't know, it's got a single septation in it. Otherwise, simple walled. It's kind of in that maybe in that green slash yellow zone uh, of, the, of the ORADs. Well, they're going to go away. And they went away faster than unilocular cysts. Crazy, huh? Now, here's a couple of take-homes. So the big thing is, hey, a lot of these things go away with time if you're patient enough to let them go away, which could take in some of these patients like six years. Uh, and it just went away and the patients never deteriorated. All right. Now, that's fine. However, it, it, there's got to be a point where you're like, look, we're going to stop looking at this thing. because it's, it's not, you know, it's year six uh, and we're still sitting on the pot. I mean, at some point you can let it go. All right. So it's helpful info that none of them deteriorated, but it's not real practical because we're likely not going to see a patient back every year for six years. Now, wait, let me clarify. Yes, we're going to see them back for their annual, but I mean, not see them back just for another ultrasound. I mean, at some point, can you imagine this poor patient? We've been doing this for eight years, doctor. Uh, I mean, come up with something. And based on what they look like, see, this is where these other societies' guidelines can help because ACOG says, hey, if it's 10 centimeters, you can kind of follow it up. Uh, and it should be benign as long as it's unilocular up to 10 centimeters. More than 10, you got to worry about it a little bit, okay? Uh, but it doesn't tell you how long. You see that that's a gap. So ACOG's like, well, I don't know. I mean, that's your deal. I'm, I told you to follow it up, but I didn't give you a timeline. This is why looking at other societies, and I've said this before, you got to look outside of our discipline, see what they're doing. And in this case, uh, radiology is trying to help us out here. They actually have some helpful info. This commentary by Stephen Rose that's in the Green Journal coming out in December as well uh, as an editorial uh, is, had the exact same thoughts. When I read this paper, I was like, oh, why do, we, why do we do that anyway? I mean, some of the people that they followed up, if you look at the breakdown, 
like simple cysts under three centimeters. I'm not going to follow that up anyway. Of course, it's going to go away. So what what Dr. Rose comments, which is, I don't know how real world this is. I mean, it's helpful to know. Yeah, you can follow it up. If you watch them and sit on them for long enough, they, they likely will go away in the low risk, otherwise low risk patient. But is that really what we're going to do uh, in a real clinical situation? And, and that's the question here. So this editorial, again, in the same uh, um, issue coming out next month in the Green Journal, uh, Rose has some great points here. He's like, look, uh, if you follow some guidelines like the one that we just covered here, which is the American College of Radiology's the ORADS scale, they reference it in this commentary. And there's another one, which is the Society of Radiologists in Ultrasound. That's the SRUS, okay, Society of Radiologists in Ultrasound. That's another one, another scale, but I don't like it as much as the ORADS. They all have guidelines of, of when to do follow-up and for what, right? So now let me read you some specific examples here of things that you don't even have to follow up according to radiology's guidelines, okay? So Rose has this in his commentary very quickly, quote, Neither ORADS nor the Society of Radiologists in Ultrasound recommend any follow-up for a simple cyst three centimeters or smaller in pre- or postmenopausal women. So yeah, just let that go, guys. It's fine if it's simple cyst, smooth-walled, no ascites. Stop freaking the patient out. It's going to be fine. And this commentary, Dr. Rose goes on to say, quote, The Society of Radiologists and Ultrasound does not even recommend follow-up for simple cysts up to 5 centimeters in postmenopausal women with good ultrasound characterization and extends that to 7 centimeters for premenopausal women with good ultrasound characterization, end quote. So like, hey, if she's asymptomatic, remember, this is not ACOG, this is American Society of Radiologists and Ultrasound, right, which is different than the ACR, just another professional society, like seven centimeter simple cyst, hey, unless she gets torsion or something, she's going to be fine, leave her alone. That makes some people uncomfortable, I get that, I'm kind of in the middle, I'm like, well, I'm not going to follow it forever, but I can check it again. Uh, like in three months and see what it's doing just to give you peace of mind and then we'll call it a day, all right? But you see how it's very, very loosey-goosey here from the radiology standpoint. Now, Rose goes on to say, quote, given the strong data that small, simple cysts are rarely malignant, as well as guidelines from both ORADS and the Society of Radiologists and Ultrasound that these do not require follow-up, The recommendations from Lasher and colleagues, this is the new publication coming out, to image these cysts until resolution seems unnecessary, end quote. Wow. Okay, so, so yeah, so Stephen Rose, who knows his stuff, I mean, rock star, gynecology, oncology, I mean, this is, this is somebody to listen to. It's like, well, thanks for that info. Uh, I'm not doing that. I mean, if it's ugly, I'm going to take it out. And if it's not, I'm just going to follow one of those other scales and probably just call it a day. Wow. So as a last quote from this commentary, Dr. Rose goes on to say, quote, Society of Radiologists and Ultrasound Guidelines go a step further to stop follow-up when these cysts have been stable for two years after the initial evaluation, eliminating the need to follow them until resolution, end quote. All right. So there you go, guys. So ACOG says you can follow up, even in postmenopausal patients, a simple unilocular cyst with smooth walls up to 10 centimeters. More than 10, that raises your risk a little bit, and you got to follow the scale, the color-coded scale of the ORADS, all right? 
But at some point, you got to call it a day. So even septated cysts have a chance to resolve. That's why the take home here is the last clinical pearl, having a uniform way of interpreting these things so that radiologists aren't making up their own thing. It's kind of small. We might could follow that up. I'm all, you know, clinical correlation is necessary. Give me something that I can look at. I can look at the table. I can give it a chance of malignancy and I can show it to the patient. Use the ORADS classification for ovarian masses. Podcast family, I cannot thank you enough for this encouragement that you all give me through our Facebook page and now our new Insta. Is it Insta? Is it the gram? Is it IG? What, what, how am I supposed to call this thing? I'm not old, but sometimes I, I'm not that hip either. Is it the gram? Is it the IG? I don't know. Oh, whatever. So send, send me a note on Instagram because, again, at some point, we're going to transition away from Facebook into our Instagram. Please help us grow this. Uh, it's all grassroots uh, because we do want to have an impact and we want our podcast to grow. We've been charged with 2024 to have growth. That comes from our sponsor. Like, hey, man, you guys got to pick it up. I'm like, who am I? What the, what the heck else do you want me to do? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to teach here. Uh, anyway, so do pl- please pass this podcast info along to others if you find it valuable. Same thing with our Instagram. We do love this. We feel that I feel that this is my mission, uh, along with uh, uh, being a good husband, a good uh, a father, uh, being a good clinician at the bedside and medical education uh, really uh, floats my boat. As always, thank you for your great messages. We care for you. Take care of each other, guys. Stay encouraged. And as always, we're thank you, thankful for you being part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.